Hello, and welcome to Leverage, the flip side of risk management, the 23rd episode in the Crossing Thin Ice podcast series brought to you by Actuarial Risk Management. My name is Max Rudolph, and as always, I'm joined by Dave Ingram. Risk management typically is designed to reduce risk. Leverage is its opposite and occurs in various forms. Dave will share some examples to help stress this point. By the way, nothing in today's podcast is intended to be investment advice. We are here to provide educational material on ERM topics without getting lost in the weeds. We hope that you will also take advantage of our complimentary quarterly newsletter and bi-monthly podcasts on a variety of risk management topics. Let's get started. It is quite tempting when interest rates were so very low to take on debt just because you could. But that might not be the best thing for an organization, especially from a risk-reward perspective. A common definition of risk management is that it is the deliberate act of systematically avoiding, reducing, transferring, or retaining risks. Generally, an organization would add potential risks by adding risky activities, decreasing risk-reducing activities, accepting the transfers of others' risks, and generally retaining more risks. Leverage or borrowing is not usually mentioned in this context, but perhaps it should be because it can have a major impact on the risk profile of an organization, an impact that is not usually considered when talking about risk management. Leverage, it turns out, is actually the flip side of risk management. Adding leverage almost always means adding risk. By adding leverage, an organization potentially reduces the stability of their expected future in return for a single payment, thereby decreasing the future expected earnings compared to future expected volatility. In most cases, a business will borrow with some potential use in mind. It might be to expand the business in some way, like entering a new territory, adding a new product line, or buying another business. These trade-offs will often be made because the expected return from the new activity exceeds the all-in cost of the funding. But sometimes, this seemingly simple relationship between funding amount and returns gets foggy. The economist Hyman Minsky famously describes three levels of borrowing. Hedge is the first level, where the loan principal and interest can be repaid in full out of the new activity. Speculative borrowing, where the loan interest can be repaid out of the new activity, but the principal is only repaid by rolling over the loan. And then finally, the third level, or Ponzi borrowing, where returns from the new activity are insufficient to pay all of the interest so that rollover loans must be found to capitalize unpaid interest along with the original principal. When interest rates were rising quickly, we needed to be careful. As borrowers, we felt the pressure on our ability to get funding that will provide for our investments at a cost that the investors can support. As lenders, we needed to make sure that a lending program does not accidentally slip from hedge to speculative or from speculative to Ponzi. In addition, each of these activities would have their own risk-reward profile. The businesses that are borrowers are trading to obtain a variable stream of funds in return for a fixed stream. They will likely increase the amount of risk relative to expected income. A business with growth plans that needs funding 
that is in excess of their earnings will find that over an extended time, they are replacing more and more and more of their stable income with variable income, making the business more and more risky and therefore more fragile. In addition, there is leverage in hedging. What happens with a derivative is that most or all of the reliable cash flows of an underlying security are not part of the deal, just the most volatile and unreliable. Those stable cash flows have been stripped out of the deal, and only some or all of the variable cash flows are left. Derivatives can usually be replicated by combinations of other securities, one of which is often a loan, which is why derivatives are often called highly leveraged. Are you challenged to meet your need for actuaries? Actuarial risk management can help. ARM's Data and Modeling Institute, or DMI, is a team of talented actuaries in Argentina with training and experience, working with an extensive bench of senior consultants. They will partner with you to outsource all or part of your actuarial and modeling needs to the DMI. The best thing? We do this at a significant cost saving to you while still positioning your company for tomorrow's challenges. Contact ARM today about our DMI modeling and valuation services. And, and Dave, insurers do not usually borrow. They tend to be cash heavy. Uh, how does the leveraging issue apply to insurers? Uh, there, there's two exa uh, examples of how leverage directly affects insurance companies. Uh, the first one is at the holding company level with the capital structure for a holding company. It can be a mixture of debt and equity and, and debt uh, at the holding company level as, as a part of the capital works on the risk profile just the way that I described the erosion of the reliable cash flows and, and the concentration then of, of the variable cash flows. Um, the other place where uh, leverage has a, a high impact on insurers is with the bond portfolio. We'll talk about different situations in a minute, but in times when uh, the bond market is, shall we say, strong, there's lots of covenants in place uh, that, that keep borrowers, uh, the bond issuers, from eroding the credit quality of, of the bond through um, future borrowing uh, without putting some conditions on them uh, to protect the, the earlier lenders. But, uh, what tends to happen in uh, times when the, uh, the credit markets get a little weaker is you, you start hearing phrases like covenant light meaning that that those restrictions start eroding and, and eventually going away completely. So uh, that then that becomes quite an issue for, for insurance companies. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Dave, everyone's favorite economist, and, and I know the name is just coming immediately to everyone, uh, Hyman Minsky, <laughs> he described three levels of borrowing. Can you give us some examples about those three, hedging, speculative, and obviously the most interesting Ponzi. The clearest example of, of these stages were home mortgages uh, in, in the first decade of the 2000s. I, I don't know exactly when it happened, but at uh, some time in the past, <laughs> to get a mortgage, you had to be able to show that, that you had enough free cash flow 
uh, or, or we're likely to have enough free cash flow over the life of the mortgage to pay it off. Seems like a simple requirement. Sometime in the early 2000s, uh, it became common knowledge that, that home prices never went down. Uh, so the idea of using uh, a home as as a pocketbook, um, you could always reach in and get some more money out of it by taking more loans against it uh, uh, rose up. And, and eventually that factored into the borrowing that was done to finance the house purchase in the first place. And, and so you, you, you had lending that was done uh, that, that ran through the the hedging phase into a more speculative phase, eventually into the Ponzi phase, and it even went way beyond that. I remember hearing a story on NPR of somebody that lives not too far away from where I live. Uh, just I, I live outside of New York City, but in in the the Bronx in New York City, somebody bought a house where the mortgage payments were more than their total gross income. Uh, so that was a, a kind of crazy situation. And, and mortgages sometimes flew through these categories um, because there was some kind of step-up provision, that, that there was some uh, a lower interest rate for some short period of time, but then a step up to a market rate at a later time, sometimes three years, sometimes five years. Uh, and, and so that was when you'd have the refinancing, when, when that step-up happened and, and you'd take out another loan. There's a fourth phase in my, in my mind, at least, which is when things blow up. Uh, and and uh, if, if you're running a Ponzi situation for very long, things are going to blow up. Minsky didn't give a specific name to that, but uh, the crash. The commercial mortgage market generally operates in the speculative mode. Commercial mortgages are, are balloon mortgages. They're not amortizing mortgages like home mortgages commercial mortgage borrowers and lenders all expect the market to work in the speculative mode where the borrower is just paying the interest and expects to be able to take out a new loan at the end of the term period to, to finance the, the future. I, I remember, though, a, a, a acute phrase that was used by the, the, the mortgage guy at the insurance company I worked at uh, when, when you hit a time when there was a little bit of trouble in the, in the uh, economy, which led to trouble in the, the, the commercial mortgage market, he said that a rolling loan gathers no loss, <laughs> which meant that if you extended another loan to a, to somebody, even if they might have trouble fulfilling the, the terms of that loan, you didn't have to write down a loss at the time <laughs> that happened. Uh, you might have to write it down later, but that was sort of kicking the can down the road. That mortgage, commercial mortgage portfolio could move from the speculative level into the Ponzi level because of the, the, the economy changing, because of, uh, because of lower ability to uh, keep your properties, your commercial properties rented. Uh, and, and, a, and a recession that lasts longer means more and more of that where the entire market might tip into a, a Ponzi stage on, on the average. Um, you, you can also think about uh, what's called zombie companies nowadays. Those are companies that are in a, in a Ponzi stage. Uh, and, and it's the same thing as, as uh, I guess I just described on commercial mortgages. 
companies have taken out a lot of loans because interest rates were low. And they found that they could get interest rates just a little bit lower, you know, sometimes only basis points lower by taking a variable rate loan. As, as interest rates been been growing, they're finding that, that that variable rate loan has a lot of interest due now as, as interest rates are resetting to higher and higher levels. Those loans are, are moving in, into that speculative or Ponzi level uh, because of the change in interest rates. In, in insurance, there, there's a, an issue with that also in, at, at the uh, holding company capital level. When I was at the rating agency, uh, a big issue for the rating agency was talking to companies who came to them with some clever new hybrid security that they wanted to issue that was something in between debt and equity. And they wanted the rating agency uh, to think of it as equity. That's all well and good, but as things go along, those things that were sort of like debt, sort of like equity, usually had a pretty high expectation of regular payments, a higher expectation perhaps than you would say a company had of continuing to issue dividends. Companies feel like they have pretty high expectations of continuing dividends, even more so with these hybrid securities. So you wind up with the same kind of thing happening with the erosion of, of the uh, reliable cash flows, the reliable profit flows in the case of the holding company uh, with these hybrid securities. So a holding company, if they can convince the rating agencies that they, they have something that's more equity-like than debt-like, then they can issue too much of this. They can get themselves too levered up with hybrids and, and, and can cause the same kind of issue for the company. And, and I mentioned, already mentioned for the bond portfolios of the insurance companies, the, the covenant light idea that uh, protections that you might have for, you, you, usually this, this is an issue you know, with the investment grade securities that, that insurance companies tend to favor. Also, with with mortgage, commercial mortgages that insurance companies sometimes buy, uh, it, it is that the uh, the market switches to a covenant light thing. And as again, that same mortgage guy that I remember I talked about earlier, remember him just saying, "Well, if if you're not going to accept the covenant light, then you're just out of the business because that's that those are the loans that are being done." Yeah, no, that's true. I I, I do want to give a, a shout out, um, Dave, to to you the. The essay that I have referenced the most in my own writings is, is one of yours, the, the theory of risk and light, uh, which is very similar to the Minsky moment. Talk about risks uh, that grow in the dark and, and only when the light shines on the practice does it become discovered. So those, those on the call who haven't read that, I would definitely recommend you, uh, you know, Googling that and, and finding it. It's the theory of risk and light. One more question on, on this uh, uh, topic, though. In, insurers often purchase derivatives to hedge a position. Can you, can you walk us quickly through that scenario in the context of, of these borrowing levels? Derivatives, if, if you've studied them at all, you learn about a, a concept called replication. And replication means uh, matching the cash flows of the derivatives uh, with some security, some some basket of securities that you're either buying or selling. Uh, and if you're going to replicate uh, at least one side of, of most derivative contracts, uh, a, a big piece of a big financially big piece of the of the 
the puzzle is is usually a, a loan uh, and, and uh, taking the cash out of the derivative uh, for one side or the other. And that's not an issue really if, if you're buying the derivatives for a hedging program because you have the risk that's on the other side of, of the net position of the derivative. When, when something happens that causes the derivative to, to pay, then you have the offsetting cash flow and it's not an issue. If you are using the derivatives directly as an investment, which um, I don't think insurance companies do, but uh, individuals have been encouraged to do that. You see that uh, from some of these, uh, these newer uh, individual-oriented brokerage firms or, or got a lot of people doing uh, derivative investing. You don't realize uh, how levered that is until you find out how much you could possibly lose on some of the transactions if you're on the wrong side of something um, that doesn't have some kind of a cap on the downside. You could find that uh, there's there's a lot more money involved than, than the small amount you, you paid to, to enter into the contract. Leverage has the ability to change the course of a financial path for individuals and insurers alike. The long, stable period of gains just ended is a good time to think about the downside of various forms of leverage. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Crossing Thin Ice, presented by Actuarial Risk Management. If you found it valuable, please rate, subscribe, and share with your colleagues.